Hi, this is Jim Chafee, producer of The Road Back to You, with a reminder that Ian and Suzanne are going to be in Austin, Texas on May 12th and 13th, 2017 for a a day-and-a-half Enneagram conference. This exciting event is going to be held at Westover Hills Church of Christ, and it will feature special music by Sovi Lighthog. Go to theroadbacktoyou.com for more information on how you can register for the Enneagram conference on May 12th and 13th in Austin, Texas. And now, The Road Back to You. doing? Suzanne, I am dandy, a word that we should return to the common parlance. Dandy? Dandy. I'm feeling dandy today. What does that mean? I don't know, but I just like the sound of the word. (laughs) It's just, it's just, I know, just percussive. It rolls off the tongue just right. I feel good today. Good. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on with you? I feel good too. I'm I'm, uh, about ready to head home. Mm-hmm. But just for a short time, then I'm heading out again. Yeah. So you know how that you know that feeling. I do know that feeling. I do indeed. But I'm glad to have this time with you, and I'm very excited today because we have a uh, a number on the enneagram uh, that I really have an affection for because two of my closest friends are this number, and his name is uh, Kenny Bench. Kenny's an Anglican priest. Uh, he's had quite a journey in terms of his vocational life. Uh, he's married to a seven. And I can't wait to find out about how fives and sevens make that work out. <laughs> That's going to be really, really good. Um, he's one of these people here in town. You know, I don't know if, you, if this happens to you in Dallas, where you you have a circle of friends and everybody knows each other, but there's one person in that group you don't happen to know, like that that you think, well, how is it I haven't met this person yet? Yeah. You know? Uh, and Andy and Jill know Kenny and Mark Nicholas. No, we got a long list of people that are good friends of mine, and I'm finally glad to be in the room with you and getting to know you, Kenny. So welcome to our show. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Kenny actually has um, become a friend of mine over the last few years. I met Kenny and Laura uh, in some deep canyon <laughs> in the hill country in Texas. Yes. And opening words were, we know the Enneagram. And I said, really, what are your numbers? And you said, I'm a five. And Laura said, I'm a seven. And I thought, wow, I wonder if that's accurate (laughs) and how things are going. And it is. It is accurate. Yes. And now you're in my apprentice program. So we hang out four times a year at least. And um, you have so many good ideas and questions to bring to any conversation around the Enneagram. So I'm really glad you're here. I'm, I'm excited about it. So, Kenny, I, I think. Oh, <laughs> well, we're going to find that out right now. So uh, I just love to ask every number person representing a, a, a number on our show, rather than us to say, okay, here's what a five is. I just think any five out there who's wondering, or a person who's wondering if they're a five would hear it from you so much better. Uh, can you tell us what what it is to be an, an investigator. That's the uh, one of the common names of a five or the observer. Right. Um, tell us about fives. When I've uh, done this before, I've, uh, I, first of all, I think of Enneagram terms and I think, no, I should tell stories. So maybe a good way of, of telling you about what a five is, as, as a child, one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me 
was a set of world book encyclopedias. Oh, yeah. And every day before school, before breakfast, I woke up and I picked a letter. Of course you and did. And I read Gosh. from the encyclopedia. Wow. And it's, it's maybe, maybe Fives understands this, but that, it was an aesthetic experience for me. Explain aesthetic. What it you gave mean by me that? joy. It okay. was, there was a sense of connection and kind of an inner beauty to what I would learn from an encyclopedia. Moving on to middle school, uh, late elementary school, my mother got me a chemistry set. This was back when you could actually still buy those things in toy stores. Yeah. And um, after I exhausted the experiments from the chemistry set, I went to the library and checked out books of chemistry experiments, and my dad worked for Phillips Petroleum Company in the oil business, and they had a research lab uh, there in Bartlesville, and so he brought home used chemical apparatus, and I had a chemistry lab in my garage. (laughs) Good grief. (laughs) So I think that characterizes the investigator. I also collected maps from service stations. As a child. Those old Hagstrom's. The Hagstrom maps, Yeah, right? the road maps, yeah. Yeah, wow. If you're not from Texas or the Panhandle, if, if you didn't get back there in Bartlesville, that would be Bartlesville, Oklahoma. <laughs> yes, that's where I grew up, Bartlesville, yeah. Oklahoma. Just not all that different from Floyd Ada, except no. it's bigger. But I grew up in a smaller town next to Bartlesville called Dewey. It's about 3,500 people. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's my childhood. 5,000, same. So um, upon welcoming you here, you uh, and Ian talked about bands that you like and music that you like and books that you like. And it occurred to me we, we ought to talk about things like that more often on the show to see if listeners pick up on, oh, man, that was one of my favorite bands, too, or that was, that's still one of my favorite books. So why don't you all share a little bit about what books, what bands you like? And Oh, goodness gracious. Well, we we were talking earlier. You, you when you start, can you're you're our our guest, so I don't want to occupy airtime. You you tell folks what what some of your favorite books and bands are, and I'll I'll, I'll chime in. Oh gosh, so probably top five. So what's be top? C.S. Lewis, Paralandra, Space Trilogy, love the Space Trilogy. Uh, Wallace Stegner, who founded the Stanford Writing School. Uh, I've loved all of his novels, was very sad when I read the last one. Mm-hmm. I've read a couple of them twice. Uh, he, uh, he taught Wendell Berry, um, Ken Kesey, um, Ivan Doig, Larry McMurtry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he taught all those folks at his writing school. Uh, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, Annie Dillard was another big discovery. Uh, Jaber Crow and... Oh. Hannah Coulter mm-hmm. are both. Um, so that's probably my top five novels. Well, you've got. We just happen to have your bio here, and yeah. you mentioned John Steinbeck. So, which which of your which of Steinbeck's were your? I like East of Eden. That was yeah. that was my favorite. So I have a confession. I, I'm almost embarrassed to say, but I'm going to go for it because it's late in the day. But I actually I can't do this. I can't tell you what I own. <laughs> Come on. Uh, Come on. Kim, all right. But if I want to say one thing. If I tell you what it is, will you promise to edit it out if I, if I tell it? Oh, you liars. Uh, I own the URL for East of Ian. Oh, God. <laughs> of course you do. 
course you do. <laughs> I just thought of it one night. I thought, okay, I just got to own that. <laughs> I'll never use it, but I'm just telling you, I own it. Okay. All right. So, um, what's all right? So, bands. Well, so when I was younger, I was really into progressive rock. Uh, David Bowie, Emerson Lake and Palmer. Yeah. Uh, yes. King Crimson. Oh, my gosh. And I think there was something about the complexity of that mm-hmm. that sort of engaged me. I'm, I'm also a big sci-fi reader, mm-hmm. and a lot of those progressive rock had that sort of character to their lyrics. Um, love Jackson. No, Brown? I like Jackson Brown. I'm Van Morrison at Suicide. Oh, yeah. Huge Van Morrison fan. Su- Susan, now... You might have to leave now because we're, I, we're. This is. I got so much stuff I'm writing on the page that yeah. that I'm. I'm just. You know. I got a lot to say. Well, here's what I have to say. I'm gonna hang here because Kenny's my bud, and I'm gonna get a little enneagram talk in here later. But <laughs> I could leave because now that I have East of Ian. <laughs> you will never tell anybody that. Oh, of course, oh, of course I, will. I just told twenty thousand people. But of course, I, mean, I will you tell know. people that. I mean, well, it's I'm like gonna... my life is complete suddenly. All right. Well, I'm gonna get you a URL of your own. <laughs> Okay. I just like, who knew? Like, maybe I'm going to have a, you know what? I'm getting older. I might need to have a gift shop one day. <laughs> Called it used to be, and I can there see it go. now. You know, I'm right. open a floral shop or something. Um, okay. So we, we share a lot of the, of the same loves, yeah. uh, author wise. Uh, you know, Stegner, Angle of Repose, uh, but Cross into Safety was one of my all time favorites. And we, actually, Suzanne, you may not know this about our friend Jill in Greenwich. Her dad was Stegner's editor. Oh, I did not know that. Was, I sure was, did not know and that. And when, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wendell Berry, I love his poetry too mm-hmm. and his essays. But uh, Annie Dillard, I am not surprised that a five would love Pilgrim at Tinker Creek because as the observer, mm-hmm. that book is nothing except about the power of paying attention. Yes, absolutely. The power of observation and that um, the other piece of it that came to me, and it's not on here, and I'm a little, I'm, I won't be surprised if you tell me that you do like this person, though, is Thomas Merton. You know, I've, I, that's, he is not someone oh, I have yeah. read. Well, I only say that because um, uh, he swims in these waters, and then the the other piece of it is he has tremendous uh, observational skills, um, and I say that because I think of all the numbers, maybe nines too, but fives in particular are the most I think inclined toward the contemplative life and toward mysticism, Christian mysticism, mm. uh, because their powers of observation are so acute. And when you said uh, you used the phrase inner beauty. And I can't remember who the poet was who speaks about... Uh, Gerald the, Manley Hopkins. Thank you. The splendor of the inner Inscape. splendor. Inscape. Inscape right? Yeah. And, and, the, the, uh, the, and it's Eliot, right, who talks about the... Um, I'm sorry, my brain's not working, but the, the you know, that runs beneath all things. Uh, and I think more than any other number, like George O'Keefe would be another example, you just have this power, this superpower, really, of observing... Um, the world in such a way that you actually do see the inner splendor of things. Does that, I mean, I just put an answer in your mouth, but is that, is that your experience? I mean, is that as yeah, an observer? Yeah. Talk, can you talk about what it's like to be an observer? Well, another story. So I discovered uh, 
pilgrim at Tinker Creek while I was in seminary. Yeah. And I had a really good friend, Mike Bullmore, who was a practical theology professor. And one of the other things I was kind of interested in when I was a kid was birds. And so one day he said, why don't you go birding with me? So we spent a day up in Wisconsin chasing birds and identifying birds, and I was totally hooked. So I'm, that's another thing that I do. <laughs> I'm an avid birder, and um, been, I've been doing that for over 20 years now, and I'm up to uh, 522 species <laughs> in the lower 48. Gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, and, and there is something about birding, and it's not just the birds, it's partly the birds, but it's also landscapes. There's just something that's very um, contemplative and moving and gives me great solace to be in different kinds of landscapes mm. and experience the mm -hmm. beauty that, are, uh, that those different kinds of landscapes have. Okay, so I'm going to venture in here. Yeah. Um, Joe and Laura, my husband and your wife, both know that we have a great affection for each other that our friendship matters to us. And we are, in fact, in a growing friendship. And we are so different. <laughs> yes, this is very true. You know, I, I, my parents bought the Book of Knowledge for me because that was before or after whatever encyclopedia set you had. And I, you know, no. I, I, if I needed it for a reference thing and it meant I didn't have to go to the library where I had to be quiet, I was all about it. But otherwise, not so much. And if you said to me, I, look, I, I've got a chance for us to kind of spend a day talking about what we're reading and doing something out in nature, let's go birding, I would say, take Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would love that. It would be so great for you guys. Right. So what do you think is, in Enneagram speak, that is the connection for our friendship? I think part of it, for, for me, um, the connection was uh, you recognized something when we first met. Uh, I can remember it was at Lady Lodge, and I happened to, in, in between talks, um, you said, so what are you, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm planting a church. And you raise your head and you go, you're a five? Yeah. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> so I think there is that my connection with you and the discovery, it wasn't like I, I knew the Enneagram before. Uh, I was a big Myers-Briggs guy. got some training in that. That was sort of my early understanding. The Enneagram up until the point and I met you was kind of like the Myers-Briggs, except it had kind of a, I call it a sin component. It kind of, you don't always like what you read yeah. as opposed to the Myers-Briggs. But there was something about experiencing you and your uh, understanding of the Enneagram that sort of activated it for me and made it a dynamic thing. And, uh, and then on the, you know, as one of the apprentices, one of the things I've really appreciated as a five is that uh, I've appreciated the work you've done to contextualize the Enneagram in our culture and society. Mm -hmm. And I'm beginning to understand what difficult and hard work that would be for you to do that. Yeah. 
And so I, I really appreciate that. Well, here's what I know. When I um, walk out of one of our three days together, every time we're together as a group, I, I'm always mindful when I get a compliment from you because it says to me that I brought up thinking. Hmm. And I, I wonder how often we're gifted with an opportunity to be friends with numbers that help us bring up what's repressed for us. So uh, we are, uh, I'm thinking repressed, and you and Ian are, Ian's doing repressed, and you're doing repressed. And it's, um, it matters to me when you appreciate what I think. Hmm. Right? I, don't, I wouldn't think that would go the other way, though. <laughs> Does it go the other way? Does it matter to you when people appreciate what you do? Yeah. Um, I have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I do. <laughs> I feel like that might be true. Yeah. I um, think I appreciate it when it, people recognize it. But one of the things that was really helpful for me when you were, you were talking about most people experience the work of five, they don't see it. Yes. That was a really helpful thing for me because a lot of the, you know, it, it just connected with a lot of my past experiences. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So um, if, if I ask you each, since you're both such good readers and have read so much, if I ask each of you to say, I think a really good author for each triad, for twos, threes, and fours, a really good person to read would be, for five, six, seven, a good person would be, for eight, nine, one, a good person to read would be, what would your answer be? Wow. Uh, can you just give us a little more criteria? Like, for example, uh, so on the basis of stances or on the basis of just, you know, just, just that would be a counter that would help them or just would resonate with them? Well, that would resonate enough to make them want to read more. You know, oh, okay. I'm on a big reading kick. I know I'm 30 years late, but I'm, I just want everybody to read. I want people to shut up. And stop talking and read. Okay, can I just say something, though? That is, that is so baloney on your part. I'm going to call your baloney right okay, now. Okay, okay. Because I've been to your house many times, and I have been through—you have reams of bookshelves, and I'm just telling you that I these books have been cracked. Yep. Okay? So I do not want to hear you say, you know, this is a new thing that you've become a reader. Because if you have, you get the Dewey Decimal System in your house, honey, because you are also got a one wing. And I just want to say, you're a reader. I am a reader. But what I'm saying is I'm late to the table in trying to get other people to read. Oh, I thought you were saying that no. you were late to the table as being a reader. I am oh, a reader. Sorry, you but I am late to the table in really encouraging reading in other people. Hmm. So, uh, Kenny's in, you're in my third apprentice class. This is the first apprentice class where I've had you, I've given you assigned reading. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and and reading that's not about the Enneagram. Right. Right, and and that's because I'm so convinced that we're losing something with all these, all this talking, 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 right. talking, talking, and so I'm I'm um, I know that some people do best with audio books. I'm glad that our book is on audio. I think all that's great. I want people to hold paper, right, and read books. And so that's one of the reasons I'm trying to kind of add that into some of our shows, because people don't people who aren't readers don't know what to read. So what author would hook each of the triads? Oh, okay. 
All right. I could, I could probably do that by number. But, but, but you know, we bet some another show. But, Kenny, why don't you go? That's a hard – I'm having trouble. I mean, I, I read so many different kinds of books. Right. But I'm trying to think of what other types of folks would Well, here's read. my theory about you, though. When you offer me a book, you do that saying, I think you would really enjoy this book. You've right. never offered me a book about birds. Well, so, uh, yeah, probably just, so one of the books that really helped me is a book called The Disciplined Heart. It's written by Carolyn Simon. She's an English professor at Hope College. And it's about reading fiction to teach us about different kinds of love. Hallelujah. Crossing to Safety is the book she recommends for marriage. But she talks about, uh, in the very first chapter, she talks about the role of imagination in loving other people, in knowing them and then seeing with our imagination what they can become Mm -hmm. and being a part of encouraging that. And that, that was a very impactful understanding for me just as a person, but also as a pastor, because a lot of what I'm passionate about is helping people understand a sense of vocation, how that vocation unfolds throughout their life. Mm-hmm. And I think it requires imagination. It requires being under to understand narrative and how narrative mm-hmm. unfolds. And that, so that book. Um, yeah, that's good. Reading fiction to, to train our loves. Good. I like that. Okay. I'm, I'm making myself a note. We're going to come back and talk about sacramental imagination, but right now let's hang with books. Oh, boy, you're taking us there, are you? Um, gosh. Well, we just got, uh, we just did a podcast with Bonds. And I, so if I were to say with, with, right, with eight one, one, yeah, I would, I would tell one to read the big book of AA. Oh. Hmm. Uh, and Les Miserables. Um, and, but the big book, it's good for anybody to read. It's a great piece of American spiritual literature. Everyone right. should read it, just period. Right. You know, whether you're an addict or not, the spirituality of it is such a gift to the globe, really. Right. Um, but I think for a one, those steps are so helpful. They're so helpful because they really lead to to grace and to forgiveness, the letting go of resentment, mm-hmm. realizing that resentment will kill you in the end. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and I think for eights, nines, and ones, that's a that's that's a good book right there, particularly for nines and ones. I think, uh, and in that, so yeah, in that anger, in that anger space, any, I, I just think that material would be in, invaluable. That's good. Two, three, four. Mm. What do you think, Kenny? Oh man, I would think. And I'm just shooting in the right, dark here. Right. But uh, biographies? Yeah, memoirs, yeah. Memoirs. Or biographies, right. Yeah. You know, one of the assignments for this last one was Hillbilly Elegy. Right. And I listened to that. And it's, it's, it's a pretty hot book right now. But I sort of, I listened to it. And I'm like, you know, this is not a new story. In fact, there was things about his story that I could relate to. Mm-hmm. My parents grew up on a farm mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. My dad got a, a big 
break and got a big job at, in Bartlesville. With mm-hmm. the, and, and that put me in new situations that opened new doors for me. And so it was really interesting to read that. And, I, and so, so I would think twos, twos, threes, and fours, biographies, memoirs, because yeah. it connects with the personal. It hooks you. Yeah. It's the reason you stay in the book until yeah. you hear the end of the story. Mm. Yeah, twos, threes, and fours, huh? Drama of the Gifted Child, Alice Miller would be one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my therapy hat's going on. Henry Nowen is one for sure, because he's a two. For sure. Pat, well, if you're going to go into residence, Patty Smith for fours. Absolutely. Would be great. Absolutely. Just Kids. Oh, Just Kids. Is astonishing. Is, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Now, if I was talking to fives, I've spent the last, my, my, my little five wing's been teaching me in the last two years an in-depth study of Tibetan Buddhism. Hmm. And I would recommend to fives, there's a couple of books on non-attachment versus Detachment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, and this is, of course, these are ideas that are continuous with the Christian tradition. Uh, we would have talked about attachments of the early fathers and mothers of the church would have certainly done that. And that leads me to a question for you. Yeah. Which is one of the features of a five uh, is, um, how do I put this, is, de- is um, living at a distance, right? Uh one of the things I was recently studying about fives is is how we all have psychological boundaries mm-hmm. that tell us who to let in and who not to let in, right? Right. And fives have thicker psychological fences, taller than other numbers. Uh, we all suffer in childhood from at least one of two wounds. These are the predominant wounds. One is abandonment. Or there's three: abandonment, neglect, and what it's not a word except in psychology, overwhelmment. The other word we might use is engulfment. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, fives are over, have been have been exposed to overwhelmment, right? So they go inward and sort of escape into the back of the cave to find their own space, right? Right. So they then learn from the, behind these boundaries to observe the world, right, rather than jump in. What's your experience with that? And is it true? <laughs> Yes. Yes, that's that's very true. Um gosh. I mean, it's so true that it's it, to me it's like always been there. My my challenge being in uh vocational ministry is sort of how to navigate that. Uh and learning to initiate mm-hmm. and engage relationally. Um, and in my, you know, in the second half of life, often I've actually been mistaken for an extrovert a few times, not a lot, <laughs> but because I've learned how to sort of be on and be present, a lot of people don't know that there's a, there's a huge withdrawal, uh, and that the, the next day I need to be, spend the whole day alone just to recharge my batteries. Mm. So that's a... And I think, you know, the, the idea of being overwhelmed, um, definitely either, you know, in emotional situations, in dysfunctional situations, I, I just evacuate. Back behind the boundaries, right? right? Yeah. Right. So, so it's, yeah, I think that's very true of the inner terrain of, of a five. Which is vast. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I mean that in the best sure, way. Yeah. the same as my and, inner train. Yeah, and I, I want to say that, so I, I told you earlier about my two friends, my, my friend Hillary, who's a PhD theology and psychology of five, and uh, Chris, uh, who's uh, in the financial services business, and that we've been dear friends for a long, long time, and I go to them for wisdom because I'm a feeling type, and my feelings can cloud my judgment. And when I need clarity about something, let's say I'm moving to Nashville, or I'm doing I'm some big important decision, and my feelings are all caught up in it, like pesto on pasta. I just can't get them off to make a make an identification of what to do going forward. I go to fives mm. uh, because you all are so analytically minded, and you're able to be disinterested in a good way right. in the outcome of the answer. So even if I said to you something, should I do this, and it was going to inconvenience you right. even, you would say yes, because you're like, I've analyzed it, and that's that's it. I bet people come to you for that at church all the time. Yeah, and so they're, they're, I think fives do have the capability of being objective. Yes. Even, yeah, even when the outcome might affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, not completely, a hundred percent. I don't think any of us are that way, but right. but the, I, do, I do think they they have an ability to be neutral in a way that uh, it, it can be very helpful. It can also make really hard hard to make decisions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> huh. I can sure see that. So um, one thing that we're talking around but not saying is what happens in the presence of emotion and what happens in the absence of emotion. So back when you were talking about Buddhist tradition and Buddhist teaching, I was reminded of a quote that, Ian, you and I both like a lot, which is from Jack Cornfield when he says, no emotion is final. That means a completely different thing to each of the three of mm-hmm. us. Yes, it does. Mm. Right? So what does that mean to you, <laughs> Kenny? No emotion is final other than thank the sweet Lord Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no emotion is final. I kind of draw a blank. <laughs> but in about three hours from now, you'll know more about it than the two of us yes. put together yes. times ten. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So here's what it means to me. It means that I get so trapped in my feelings I can't think. And I have to recognize that I'm not always going to feel this way. So mm. I need to pull up and engage thinking about what's happening because the feeling is so big I can't. Right, right. I just can't get beyond that, Right. And I, I've. Uh, what about you? Well, I, um, I'm helped by the five, on my four. Yeah, my, your five, that five, five wing a lot. It's tempered. Like I meet a lot of fours. I'm not the bohemian social type of four. We've never talked about subtypes here, but so I'm not that as pulled around by big, huge emotions as as other people are. You know, in the in the four space. Um, but in the five, then also tempers it. But I do identify with my feelings. That's the problem for fours. You know, we tend to, are, we all, all, all two, threes, and fours, we have issues not only around image, but, but behind that is about identity. You know, who are we? I mean, our, you know, identity was back there, you know. Right. And uh, so I find my, for years, found my identity through feelings. I mean, whatever feeling I was having, I, I, I became that feeling. Right. It wasn't just I'm having a feeling. It's I am that feeling. You know, it's, I'm so swept up in that feeling right. that right. I just don't know how to get out of it, you know. So when I'm depressed, it's forever. And I've never, you know, it's consuming. It's like right. it's, like, it's consuming. Um, now, one of the ways 
that I've learned from Buddhists, and I am a Christian, but I've been my, my faith has been deeply illuminated by Buddhist, uh, particularly the Tibetan tradition. Um, and uh, they have so helped me to realize, they have an expression, you know, you are the mountain, not the weather. Right. You are uh, the you are the sky, not the clouds. So clouds are just feelings, Ian. They're gonna blow in. They're gonna blow out. You're the sky. <laughs> let it just let it have its way, and don't worry. It's not final. That's what I think Jack was trying to get yeah. at. Yeah. As we're talking, um, one of, one of the things I think people are surprised, you know, in stereotyping is that. They tend to think fives don't have feelings. Right. I'm trying to get us past that. Yeah. And it's actually, it's almost a little offensive because yeah. I, I'm actually, I feel very deeply. But it, I don't keep it or think about it. I, I sort of, I feel something deeply and then I don't know if letting it go is the right way of saying it, but it just, it passes. And so that's the reason I wanted to bring up this quote because... You you do feel deeply. For me to tell you that it's not final, for me to use a quote that says, no emotion is final, it's like you you couldn't even initially engage with that because it's so true for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So it, it would be like, are people struggling with that? Like, are there people <laughs> who think things, feelings are final? Yeah. So what happens then for you as a five when your feelings engage around what you think. Right. Because yeah, that's different, isn't it? This was the big aha moment for me. Uh, when I was at Lady Lodge, it was after the retreat, I asked Suzanne, I'm, I said, I'm a pastor, what should I listen to first? And you said, listen to stances. And so Laura and I were taking a, a five-day trip to Big Bend National Park right after that. So we, we got this stance teaching and we listened to it and we were listening through the to the fives and we got to kind of all the practical stuff and it, you know, it says fives are thinking dominant and their feeling support thinking and that they have feelings about their thoughts and that they're doing repressed. And I'm like, I'm not doing repressed. I do lots of stuff. And my wife looked at me and she just, she just, her eyes got real big and she goes, yeah, you Wake up in the morning and you drink your cup of coffee and you read your theology book and you have really good feelings about it. There you go. And then you don't want to get up and do anything. I'm like, oh. Oh, that. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> oh. Oh, it's that. <laughs> so while we're on the subject of your wife, uh, you've told us she's a seven. Right. The enthusiast. And when you when a five tells me that they're married to a seven, I always have to cock an eyebrow at that internally. Anyway, I don't. I try not to give my face away because you know you think, well, that's going to be something, isn't it? Um, we all know that every you know any two healthy numbers on the enneagram have successful marriages. I can only think of one pair that would be insanely difficult, and I, I won't say what pair that is. It's two fours. Um, but uh, what's it like for an enthusiast to be married? Do you think to a observer, okay, or investigator, and what's it like for you to be married to an enthusiast? That's a comp, you know, that's, so we're, we're celebrating our 35th anniversary this May. That's a lot. And So I think it's going to stick. Yeah, I, and I, I think we, we really connect, we communicate well, and so that's kind of the anchor of our relationship. Um, 
we she explores and does lots of different things. Uh, I'm kind of a bit of an anchor for her in that. Mm-hmm. And then she is my emotional intelligence. Oh, that's so well said. Um, I can remember her going to a women's retreat uh, some years ago and her coming back and, and telling me kind of the relational landscape that she experienced. And for me, it was like reading a Memoir. Yes, a detect or a detective novel. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, oh. like P.D. James. Yes, another mm-hmm. one of my favorite. Authors. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew that. Um, you guys should start a reading group or something. I'm yeah, just we saying. already did. The um, so I've learned a lot about emotional uh, intelligence and re- relational wisdom from her. It's fascinating to me, though, that the mm-hmm. language is always. Still about thinking. And they're both in the? Right. Thinking triad. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you are describing the two of you learning from one another. Here's how we intellectually help each other. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how you emotionally help each other. Yeah. And how that feels as opposed to what you think about that. Right. I would say emotionally I help her Boundaries? You mean you place limitations on her? No, 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 no. Um, I, I'm sort of a sounding board to give her permission oh. to have, have boundaries, I think. Right. Right. And she for you? Um, much more so earlier in our marriage, but she was basically my sort of emotional connection to people. There you go. Conduit. We have a very rich friend network, and it is not mostly... You it, didn't I, build I, it. I didn't, I didn't yeah. build it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was your proxy. Uh-huh. And, and she also um, helps me show up. Emotionally? Well, and, or just... Oh, physically. <laughs> well, in... Um, she initiates conversations, uh-huh. and then she invites me in to for me to, to share what I know. and Yeah. Okay, I don't want to leave the uh, conversation about the two of you without, leaving the fact, without talking about the fact that you share a line on the Enneagram. Right. So I think one of the strangest moves on the Enneagram is a five in stress and security, in seven. Right. That's just a strange move. How does that feel? Uh, I think it depends upon, you know, and I've learned some of this stuff from you. It sure. depends if, if I'm going to the high, side or, high the side, 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 side or the low side. The low side, it's like embarrassing. Is it like, embarrassing in real time yes, or looking back? No, it's both. Both. I'm like, I just said the stupidest thing. Yeah. Why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> and thought I was funny. Yeah. On, on the high side of it, it, it's really helpful. And I would say that I've, that I've learned some of that from Laura, uh, of, of engaging and enjoying the in, engaging in a relationship. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a very mystical connection there. So we, we have talked a lot, I have, over the years about the connection between a five with a four wing or a four with a five wing connecting head and heart. Yeah. But it's almost like a five and a seven in the line between you is a connection between activity and inactivity. Right. 
and it seems so necessary. Yeah. Well, it was always, it's intriguing to me that both of the numbers that fives go to in stress are aggressive, aggressive numbers. Yes, me too. Me too. Like going to eight is also... A crazy move. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So I want to get um, one more thing talked about, uh, and then I'm real open, but this is on my agenda. As you know, I, uh, for a time, worked in a post-adoptive community in Dallas, working with children and parents. And uh, one of the things I discovered in that community of primarily foreign adoptions um, and a lot of single women who adopted children is a lot of female fives who are not married, adopted children, still Hmm. do adopt Mm -hmm. children, to find out that often in foreign adoptions, the emotional and uh, tactile needs of a child are overwhelming. Right. And I've uh, had the privilege of bearing witness to fives learning to, to give more of themselves in terms of affection and touching and um, all of that tactile stuff for the sake of somebody else. Um, when you give for the sake of somebody else, is it rewarding for you in so, in any way? Oh yeah, yeah. I I would say in pastoral ministry, one of the um, one of the areas I experienced the most resistance in is hospital visits mm-hmm. or caring for people at the, at the at the end stages of life. Um, there's this in, there's this initial resistance pushing through it, then after it's over, I'm like, that's the most rewarding thing I could do. Oh, that's good. It's a very, but it's, but it's, it's still, there's still a resistance to, to just walking, you know, just literally walking into that kind of a situation. I had a big aha moment about uh, fives recent, just in the last week. Because when my, you know, my mom and dad were married for, my dad was a one and my mom was a five. They were married for uh, 58 years. She was his surgical nurse. They were best friends. They traveled the world together, all that. They were really close and fun. And after he died, uh, she seemed to be doing emotionally far better than I expected she would do, because that was my perspective, of course, looking back. And I said to her one day, "How, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? And she said, I had 58 years with him, 58 wonderful years. Don't you think it would be selfish of me to have needed more? Now, that's such a five statement, I, can't, I, I don't even know how to frame it. Mm-hmm. Because she can think about her feelings. And, you know, I would just be burrowed in a hole somewhere. <laughs> Screaming. I'd be writing a memoir. Yes, you would. And you know, music to go with. Music to go with. And a score that sounded like the mission. Um, you know, I, I, but I, ha- I, have a theory, I have a theory about this because my, my friend Hillary is one of the best therapists I know. And people would think, well, how can someone who is stereotypically, not typically, but stereotypically uh, detached and, you know, emotionally unavailable is what oftentimes fives are, are um, characterized as being. Be a good therapist. And I said, because he's a pure, non-anxious presence. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He, he can be, I've seen him, and he's great at hospital visits, actually, because 
he actually doesn't come into the room. Those feelings just don't don't get. They're not glued to him, right? And so, what people experience in him is uh, that he has enough distance from what they're experiencing that he can speak into it clearly, right? Not clinically. I think that's when it starts to get unhealthy. You know, then you become like Doctor House. That's a super unhealthy <laughs> yes, five. There you, you go, Doctor House. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, he was able. He's a genuinely compassionate person, but he expresses his compassion in that non-anxious presence. And if you don't know that. It will feel aloof and dis, uh, not disinterested, but indifferent. But that's not what's happening. Right. He's all zeroed right in. He's right. observing. He's picking up everything. So, you know, I, I we started out, actually, I was his client. And then we met like three or four times and we decided that we liked each other so much that we couldn't see each other anymore yeah. as, as a client and therapist. And we just decided to become friends. And I haven't been healthy since. But uh, I think that's one of the great gifts of... Of, of fives in, in those kinds of settings. We are all so different. We are so different. Last week, um, Joe had seven hospitals to go to in Dallas. And probably nine patients, I think, in those seven hospitals. So I, I tried to imagine myself doing seven hospitals. And you know, if you're the last one on my list, you have to, to bear the burden of me bringing all of the other patients and all of their sadness in with me because I am carrying it right on out of there. So I just want to point out that what appears to be giftedness for certain things in hospital visits. So you would think, boy, twos would be good at hospital visits. Yep, with some boundaries. Right. And you'd think, I don't know about fives in hospital visits. And it would be, oh, they're really good because they have boundaries. Right, right, right. And there's just a balance there that we miss an awful lot because we don't look deeply enough into each number. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I completely agree with that, and I'm always amazed. Uh, and again, you know, I because you're a priest, I think we go off into this territory of I do think, and I haven't explored it very deeply, and not nor do I think it's particularly original. But these nine numbers do reflect the dimensions of God's character, not all of God's character, but m- major features, right? And uh, but they represent gro- sort of gro- garish distortions. It's as though we attach to a particular dimension of God's mm-hmm. character to the point that we become so attached, paralytically gripped, you know, on the on that particular thing, that we have no room to receive the gifts of the other numbers because we're so I'm, my hands are so tight on four, yours on two, yours on five. Now for those listening, let me just explain that. Right, one the perfection of God, two the love of God, three the glory of God. That's how I put it. Four the beauty uh, aesthetic dimension of God. Five the omniscience of God. Six is the, the unfailing loyalty of God. Sevens the that joy of God. You know, eights would be the anger. You know, the power. Anger is not the right. The power. Right of God and nines the peace of God, you know, and but man, when you just hold on to one of those, and you because uh, now again not original to me, I always like to you know, I don't know attribution is a weird thing for me because it's hang up. But if you look at the enneagram diagram, and people say, well, where's health on it? I, it's right in the middle of it. It's in that blank space right in the middle where you have. I think it's where Jesus lived, you know. <laughs> You know, all of these gifts are available. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're just, they're just all, it's just porous. You just got availability to all of it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I just want to tell you one thing before we, we, we clip out. We don't have to clip out, but I think we're probably heading toward that time. Uh, I just bought and mailed you 
a copy of Thomas Merton's New Seeds of Contemplation. Awesome. And uh, because I know that, uh, and your wife will appreciate that, I just bought you another book to bring into the house, <laughs> right? And uh, to add to the pile. Um, because uh, one of the ways that I as a four with a five and connect with fives, right, is I feel... Similarly, when I hear beautiful language and beautiful ideas spoken from the heart, that's when my bell mm. rings. If I hear great ideas, I find them interesting. But when they're spoken with head and heart, then my bell rings. My intellect mm. goes, ooh, the light goes on, and my feelings get activated at the mm-hmm, same time. Mm-hmm. And that's just like crack, you know, <laughs> for, for me. Um, and, but you have to promise me one thing. It could be a year from now, five years from now. And this is going to be hard for you because I'm going to ask you to initiate. If you like it, and there's no obligation to, and you think it would be a good idea, I'd love to have lunch and talk about Thomas Merton with you. We'll do it. Yeah. So I have a new thing that I'm going to start with some podcasts for a time, and then I'll get tired of it and I won't do it anymore. But, um, you know, I, I did some work on Jonah because I discovered when I was being asked to teach a lot of Sunday school classes and do one-hour talks and didn't have time to prepare them, that you can teach anything using Jonah, really. I mean, you, there's a, it's an unending source of storytelling. So I did some work around Jonah and four mantras, and the four mantras are show up, pay attention, tell the truth, and don't get attached to the results. Could you say that again? Just, uh-huh. just a little slower. Show I'm, up. I, yeah. And this is for who now? Everybody. Everybody, okay. So the four mantras are show up, pay attention, Tell the truth and don't get attached to the results. Which of those is easiest for you? Oh, now you got to say them again, Sue. My brain is so shut. I will. I'll okay. say them again. The question is going to be which is easiest and which is hardest. So, one more time show up, pay attention, tell the truth, don't get attached to the results. I think the middle two. For me, pay attention. That comes very naturally. Telling the truth. And I'm, I don't really get attached to the results. It's really just showing up. <laughs> that is so funny. That's the, that is <laughs> once so Once I show up, I can kind of do all the rest of it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's good. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this question. You mentioned uh, sacramental imagination. I did. And um, here we go. The two-hour show. We're about to start it. So the part of my spiritual journey involved. Uh, I, I had a pretty strong awakening in college, and then I almost within six months, I had a sort of an intellectual crisis. Like, is this true? Is this true? And so I uh, ran out. Okay, I'm gonna call timeout. Yeah, because I don't want to say this at the end. Yeah. But I have to say this, and then I want you just to start over. Okay. I do not believe that I have in my lifetime, 66 years, had an intellectual crisis. And I'm not kidding. I've had queries and concerns. I don't think I've ever had what I could call an intellectual crisis. So I'm, I'm just trying to get people who are listening to dial into the fact that we're talking about something that may not be an experience that everybody's had. Right. Okay, so would you start mm. over? 
Yeah, so about six months after I came to faith in college, um, I was in a fraternity and I was sitting in a room and uh, the Christian and the agnostic were debating. And I thought, well, I'm supposed to participate in these kind of discussions now. So I ducked my head in there. And the agnostic had much better arguments than the Christian. And I got this really sinking feeling in my stomach. What if this isn't true? And it was a pre-existential uh, angst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not too strong a word for what I felt. It was a kind of a despair. It's like, if this isn't true, what is there? So I spent the next week buried in my room uh, reading C.S. Lewis books. And discovering C.S. Lewis was like a window to a new world. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until that point, my undergrad degree was in chemical engineering. I loved math and science. Mm-hmm. I still do, mm-hmm. but C.S. Lewis opened the door to a whole different realm of knowledge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I found very engaging, and um, smart. smart. And his, his, especially his fiction, embodied a sacramental worldview. Oh, that mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was sort of imbibing. Oh. And then years later, the first time I walked into a liturgical church, to an mm-hmm. Episcopal church, and I began to participate in that worship, there was something about it that my head and my heart yes. came together yeah. mm-hmm. in that kind of context. Um, and even as we're talking about you know, doing hospital visits, there's, the liturgy is so helpful to me. The first time I did a funeral as a pastor... I couldn't imagine doing a funeral without liturgy and having to kind of invent words in that moment. And I was so glad that mm-hmm. there were these time-tested words that were so fitting and appropriate for the... And so you know that that desire and that liturgy was all feelings, right? Right. And the feelings were so overwhelming, you didn't want to have to invent the words because you have so much respect for the words. Yes. That is beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah, only a five could talk like that. That's just only a five. Man, this has been so rich. But do I get to answer the question about show up, to show up, pay attention and yep. stuff? And by the way, I, when you were talking about not having... See, this is when you don't realize, oh my gosh, everyone sees things so different. I have had intellectual crises right. as, a, as a four in the feeling mm-hmm. triad. But they also evoked incredible emotion at the same time. And they've been, I think that would have been difficult for me. Um, I think about intellectual things all the time, you know, like from reading, and, and I'm always trying to puzzle my way through things. But um, it's because it's your wing. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. So I'm just saying, but it also brings out a lot of, uh, a lot of feeling too in me. It's not, it's not, uh, it's, yeah, it just does. It yes. brings it brings out both at the same time. Um, but for me, I think what's hard is I can I can pay attention um, because I have a, a sacramental imagination. And interesting, what I would probably this is how I oftentimes characterize myself is I have a Protestant mind and a Catholic heart. That my mind is you know it 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 doesn't it likes order you know, but my heart. Which is dominant, more dominant. It loves the the sense of transcendence that I get in liturgical traditions. I became a priest because of the Eucharist. I didn't. I wasn't about preaching. It was the Eucharist. I wanted to celebrate the Eucharist. 
because that's to me was ever, that was the source and summit, as we say, right? Right. Of our of 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 our faith, right? Um, so paying attention, as you know, that's I see I see things going right. on a lot. Right. Uh, but as a, I think as a member of that feeling, trying to tell the truth is hard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a mask, uh, you know, my need to be special and unique. If I'm in an unhealthy space, you know, I, I that's me not telling the truth. You know, that's my version of not true. You know. Yes. Uh, and I and because I'm a four who cares about authenticity, I hate it when I do it in a weird way. But I can't not do without it because you know that's your primary defense. And you know, so I'm still in the process in our tradition of sanctification of allowing that to drop away and the true self to emerge. Right. Um, and uh, showing up can be hard for me because I withdraw a lot, even though I look like I'm not. Right. Sometimes and. Uh, I pay attention to results because of shame. And you know what I mean? Like, because I'm sure. a, it's not that, like, a three would be, I'm afraid of being, appearing like a failure. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it would be more for me about uh, the failure to compensate mm. for the missing piece that, oh, I, you know, I didn't succeed there and therefore I have not somehow or another compensated for the missing piece. And then, you know, a three would have an entirely different agenda than right. that. Right. So that was a great question you asked. You know, I'm, I like so, it. so just know I'm stealing it. Sure. Okay. All right. That's just, so you know we yeah. share, right? Yeah, we do. Can I want to thank you so much for coming in? I think fives are one of the most misunderstood numbers on the enneagram, and it's always good when when a five is able to articulate their experience in a way that I think other people go, oh, that oh, it's not what I thought. And, and it also reminds me that's true of all of us. It you know? is. Right. It's true of all of us. So thank you for that gift today. And I'm, I, hope, I hope we do meet again and we, we do get a chance to talk about Thomas Merton. Yeah, we'll do But it. no obligations. <laughs> and the solace of fierce landscapes. One of my favorite it is. It is. I knew it was going to be one of your I favorite books. I read that books. during uh, my sabbatical. Boom. Okay. So I, for sure, am going to see you in three weeks. That's right. Thank you for being here. <laughs> It's great to be here with you guys. Thanks so much. Love what Appreciate you guys are you. doing. Thanks. We do too. We're okay. having a good time. I'm going to see you pretty soon. Pretty soon. Go to the website, theroadbacktoyou.com. You can get all the information there. Yeah. All right, buddy. Peace and grace. Bye now. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, produced by Jim Chapey, and our engineer is Brad Bass. Our theme music is provided by the band Water Deep from their album Moment, written by Laurie Chaffer. Please visit our website, theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and a list of our public appearances around the country. And you can order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Hey, Suze, we got some dates coming up. We do. We're going to be in my home state in May 12th and 13th at Westover Church. Hope we see you there. 